Welcome to the first in the series of podcasts from the Plastic Surgery Journal Club. Each month we review and appraise a journal article from PRS and summarize it for you in this short podcast. The full paper can be obtained from the PRS Journal website. The next paper we're looking at with Dr. Frank Sear, who's the current accredited plastic surgery registrar at the Children's Hospital of Westmead, is the first vault expansion in APERT and Cruzon Pfeiffer syndromes front or back, and this is uh, from the Netherlands um, in uh, a very recent PRS. So Frank, what was this paper looking at in a nutshell? Uh, in a nutshell, that uh, this is a, a retrospective review. So the audit of the patients of uh, all the upper and Cruzon Pfeiffer syndromes between the uh, 1999 to 2013, uh, who had been treated for cranial synostosis. Now, what they are looking for is that their the unit changed the protocol in 2005 uh, from the frontal orbital expansion, uh, so sorry, frontal orbital advancement to occipital expansion. And um, this is a, a way to review um, if they can manage to achieve a bigger intracranial volume, um, whether these patients have got less raised intracranial pressure, um, and whether they have got better visions. And the uh, the measurements they used uh, was a head circumference, uh, the tonsillar herniation, papilloedema, as well as visual acuity. Um, so they identify all these patients and 18 of them were uh, had Epler syndrome and 19 had Cruzon Pfeiffer uh, syndrome. So altogether, were th- 37 patients underwent uh, the operation. And out of these 37, 18 of them uh, underwent frontal orbital advancement versus 19 with occipital expansion. Now with occipital expansion, it can be either conventional or the spring cranial synostosis, uh, sorry, spring, spring cranial plastic. Now it seems that they change uh, from the conventional method to spring in 2010, but um, in the paper they didn't really specify that much. Um, so nine patients had springs, um, and five of them had a perp, four of them had uh, cruzone and Pfeiffer. Um, pre- at, at pre-op, um, seven had papillar edema, seven had tonsil herniation, um, and most of these were the cruzon Pfeiffer group. Um, at post-op, 15 had papillar edema. And uh, out of these 15, 11 of them had frontal orbital advancement, 4 had orbital expansion. Um, and the tonsillar herniation had 13 patients, and um, 9 patients had uh, a frontal orbital advancement, 4 patients had occipital expansion. So what this paper um, is trying to tell us that occipital expansion is definitely a preferred technique. Um, they, they, they are glad that they changed their protocol and um, they believe that the, um, the head circumference has increased a lot. They have reduced the rate of papilledema as well as tonsillar herniation. Um, however, some of the criticism came from that uh, the papilloedema um, is not a very objective way of measurement. Um, as well as um, inside the inside the, the paper, they didn't specify that when you actually have changed the, the spring, um, so when you have changed your protocol into a spring cranioplasty. So how can you tell that, uh, because you di- didn't go into any statistic, you didn't really tell people in the paper, how can you just draw a conclusion that is better than the conventional or similar expansion? I, I, I tend to, well, first of all, just coming to the papilledema yeah. point, so there is no doubt that uh, the detection of papilledema is, uh, the ophthalmologists tell me is very subjective and uh, units that use uh, photography uh, in order to document the optic disc 
uh, are going to have more accurate uh, accuracy than the, um, uh, than than sort of an individual observer, unless it's unless you know it's it's the same observer every time, and um, they've got a set. Uh, you know, set, uh, set ideas that, that they can bring to bear or set assessments that they bring to bear in terms of uh, determining whether someone has papilledema or not. Um, the other thing in terms of spring uh, expansion, I mean, basically, there's no doubt that spring expansion is better. You're limited in the traditional uh, uh, posterior vault expansion, you're limited um, by, by scalp wound closure in terms of how far back you can move the back. Um, the advantage of doing of using springs it's basically uncontrolled distraction so you're not only distracting the callus but you're also distracting the soft tissues so as i said in the paper they're commonly commonly getting four and five centimeters of distraction at the osteotomy site which is probably about twice as much as what you get with the standard uh, peripheral vault expansion so i really think that uh, springs are the way to go uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to posterior vault expansion uh, this group previously published on uh, raised intracranial pressure and the detection thereof and uh, they're very good at uh, sequential measurements of head circumference uh, papilledema I understand they don't have access to visual evoke potentials, which is a more objective way mm. of, uh, of assessing um, uh, the same thing. Uh, and also their use of sleep studies, yeah. uh, which is the final thing that's mm. important in these groups who have uh, uh, craniosynostosis associated with mid midfacial mm. hyperplasia. But I think everyone thought it was a pretty good study. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts, head to soundcloud.com and search Plastic Surgery Journals. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks to the PRS Journal team for their ongoing support.